Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick. Here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Rampage Baby, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, baby views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hapland Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and a bit of a surreal show, Sidge. A show with two title matches, but one that left me feeling a little bit empty at the end. I just don't think it was a particularly good two hours of television whatsoever. Like uh, People might not want to listen to this week's podcast. Next week's <laughs> episode looks really good. Really good three-way tag. The fire fest Again, yes. I'll be less cynical about when it actually happens. It's really <laughs> great. Look, there's tiers of Dynamite episodes, right? There are your all-time classics, of which there are far too many. They have no right to have so many. That's why we love this company, usually. Underneath, there's like these absolutely fantastic 9 out of 10s that are still life-affirming. Underneath, you get, oh, there was a couple of segments that didn't quite connect, but mostly it was great. Then you get these really uneven ones where there's some incredibly questionable storyline developments or just things that they do that are just kind of weird or... Um, overly ambitious or just infested with tropes, right? And there's one, like, four-and-a-half-star match pretty much every single week, actually, in this year, where it's like, oh, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then you get this tier. Literally, we're talking this episode, in my opinion, was literally the lowest tier, where there's stuff you just don't care about, where there's not one storyline that you're massively into and can't wait for this segment to arrive, where there's not one really great standout match Mm -hmm. that can sort of obscure the fact that some of the booking was wonky, uh, this is the absolute lowest tier of dynamite you'll get. Um, I can't remember. There must have been one late last year where it was like before full gear or when the revolution build was taking ages where I was like, this is just not particularly good, this. Um, but I can't really think of any particular episode other than this where I was like, I can't be asked. I was watching this and I was so bored. Genuinely quite bored. Irritated at points, but mostly just a bit bored and very passive to the experience. I feel like I have to jump in at this point just to clarify, because often people say, oh, you're so negative about this. Look, you two especially hold this company to a very high standard. You wrote an entire bloody book about this company. That is the level of passion for, you know, what has been a revolutionary new company that came along. They haven't just gone, oh, we'll be the alternative to WWE. They are... are 
what's the phrase, plowing their own furrow? Mm. Yeah, something like that. We are not sat here saying, as I wind you two up often in the office with, well, Raw and NXT 2.0 is better than, than AW Dynamite yet again. Smackdown better. Yeah, that's <laughs> something I do just to just to poke the bear a little bit. They are, there are, well, you always say grading on curve, don't you? And that applies to both Monday Night Raw and, and WWE shows on the whole, but also to AEW Dynamite because we expect better from them. Yeah, um, of course, you know, everything is subjective and somebody could be listening to this thing that that was their favourite episode of AEW Dynamite ever and maybe want some of their opinions validated and then maybe not get them in this episode and feel frustration, and I understand that. Um, from a strictly subjective level, I... Chef Cedric's take entirely, like, bored, irritated. I did not have a good time watching this episode. I had a better time watching. I didn't get to tell you this, Cedric. You weren't here for this. He added a frigging noise to the intro yesterday because we did, you know, Dynamite! And then he went, and the great American bear! And, the <laughs> and you're just like, you're knocked oh, on your ass. Yeah. You're like, clean up. Like, that's, well, we're five seconds in and I'm done. Um, aye, with a salute, which they can't even see. That's, that's just for me. That's literally for nobody else to see. He <laughs> had a frigging salute. Uh, I had a better time. Watching the Great American Bash, you go into wrestling shows with certain expectations, certain standards, certain hopes, etc. And one for me fulfilled most of them, and this dynamite profoundly failed to do that. There was one thing that I really, really liked that um, added to all the hope I had from last week's dynamite and rampage that things were kind of coming back to where I mm. expected to be for AEW. And I was given about six seconds to celebrate, and then it was like right on to the next thing. And then the next thing, followed by the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, was just things I didn't really enjoy and things I didn't really like. And I don't know, when we get into the more, you know, granular details of the show, because, you know, we're not lazy pundits and we like to get into the details and the meat of things, I want to sort of, I don't know, revisit it with you guys and see if maybe my I was wrong in my initial viewing or maybe I just, mm. maybe like the, sh the vibe of the show, because it's such a, you know, I think this is probably Cedric's original take, it's such a vibes promotion. So if you're left, the great example is always all out. I was watching live, like... God, this is a really all out 2020. This is a really terrible time. Cedric comes on late, having no idea that like all the rest are sweating <laughs> after death and my heart is nearly died on the pave. And you're like, what's everybody's problem? <laughs> I, like, I saw looking around, looking around for like buzzing excitement, like the John Travolta gif, and I was just like, Man, it's pretty dark. It's like, <laughs> like it's it's such a vibes promotion. And like once once it was gone, there was no getting it back on this episode. And I just wonder if picking it apart piece by piece, things might sort of shine a little bit more. Mm. Um, I just had a lot of, it's like, I'm going to I'm gonna end up repeating a load of takes. I've whinged about a ton of stuff on Twitter this morning. But I was wishing so much for, uh, and this is not related to one thing or another, just like wishing Kenny Omega would come back and like Hangman Page and the Elite would make friends. But why I'm doing that is because I want like fake wrestlers to make my show feel all right again for real reasons that they're cut. It's like when... Sasha and Bailey rocked up at the Great American Bash, and I was like, maybe this will make NXT fine again. <laughs> the rot is set in. Your favorite wrestlers coming and doing fake wrestling aren't going to fix this. But I've honestly started feeling that about the Elite. My need to see the Elite made whole again on this show is somehow to do with fixing things behind the scene. They can't solve problems by playing their characters. They've got to be EVPs. And what we know is that they kind of had that power taken away from them that's not going to solve it yeah i feel a little bit guilty because when we come in here and you know you two aren't necessarily that hot on a wwe show i try and be the positive one i try and you know balance it out and give a few perspectives to be honest i mean the only uh, certain other people's perspectives that i've seen on this show i saw matt reigns was was a bit eh, i saw a series of his tweets um expressing indignation let's say with elements of this show and just i'm just going to parrot something that i saw you tweet if i'm honest but we'll i'll let you give you a full more fuller thoughts when we get to it on the show but there was stuff on this show that i really did enjoy but in the moment where i was like 
you know, you just want to you just want to sit back and indulge yourself in that. Oh, well, they didn't do a screwy finish. Wardlow's TNT champion, but it was too fast yet again to be like uh, uh, on to the next thing. But we'll get into that in more detail when we when we get to it, Sid, because you'll form, form more articulate with 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 how. It's irritating you with this show. But let's start with the TNT Championship match. It opened the show. Wardlow versus Scorpio Sky and everyone else. Dan Lambert, Ethan Page, a load of big lads from American Top Team. Um, They get into it straight away. Uh, Wardlow is obviously going to be the dominant force here. Look at him. Uh, He knocks uh, Scorpio Sky down with a shoulder block. uh, And Sky goes, well, it's a street fight, so I'm just going to haul you in the bollocks. That only slows down Wardlow for a while, and he comes back with an overhead belly-to-belly suplexes, continues chucking him around, but then Dan Lambert jumps up uh, and causes a distraction, um, and that uh, leads to... uh, Actually, maybe that was a different part I'm thinking of. I think it was Lambert on the floor when they were brawling, and that led to Wardlow being sent into the steel steps. Wardlow makes a comeback, though, after the break. Does that huge senton of his off the top. um, Goes for the Powerbomb Symphony, but because it's a street fight, all of American top team come in. Wardlow takes each and every one of them out and even chucks one of the last ones onto the pile of them on the floor. And I'll tell you what, they got me with that belt shot. Wardlow turns around, we all know what's coming, turns around into a massive belt shot by Scorpio Sky. And I thought, oh my God, they're doing the screw finish. They're dragging this out. They're doing almost the WWE thing. But I was kind of okay with it because I was like... Jesus, he just nailed him with that. But Wardlow kicks out at two. He escapes the TKO. Lambert jumps up on the apron at that point. Sky gets pushed into him. Um, and then Wardlow powerbombs Symphony his, uh, his ass three times. One, two, three. New TNT champion. Celebrations, confetti, fireworks. But just not quite given the amount of time for me personally to really enjoy it. But before we talk about that, Sige, what did you make of the match itself? Um, I thought it was kind of bare minimum stuff that was popular enough that it was sort of, it wasn't in any way underwhelming, I don't think. And um, Scorpio Sky has been carrying an injury that might account for the length of the match and how brisk this bit of business was. Um, Other than the belt shot, I didn't really feel like Wardlow was in any real danger of Mm. not winning this. It's weird because, like, the start of the match was pretty ace. Like, Scorpio Sky was battering his thighs with those kicks, like, really rapidly. And the second that he lunged, they timed the shoulder barge spot perfectly. I thought we're in for a ripper here. We got some shortcuts instead. It's all fine. Again, maybe um, Scorpio's injury has something to do with it. Or maybe they just wanted to make Wardlow look really dominant. Um, it's not very much else to talk about, really, with this. Ultimately, they got the result they wanted. They did two sort of um, decorative, what was it, like the ticker tape mm. explosion and then the, and the pyro, and then that was it. Um, I, I, Eddie Kingston kind of did as much to put over Wardlow as the the bells and whistles did. Um, it just it, it was just totally weird having a celebration like that at the start mm. of the show. Maybe if it was the ending, it would sort of mirror the fact that this is the culmination of his arc. Where instead, because this happened at the very end of the first segment of or the second segment, because there was an ad break, it just felt like obligatory mm. rather than this actual moment of celebration and triumph that the fans could luxuriate in. One of the reasons why you're meant to register this moment and allow fans to celebrate for a while, it's because you've invested in the Wardlow character for years at this point. And Wardlow is ultimately the AEW original. Um, when he was first signed, if you call back, everyone was like, oh, this is a bit wacky because we were all like in kick pads or good wrestlers mode. It's like, why are the 
got a natural born thriller. That's bizarre. <laughs> and we've grown to love that. It's just another dish of the buffet, as you like. Yeah. So I would, have, I would have liked to have celebrated that moment with Wardle longer purely because I've invested in this character for quite some time. But it just felt like, do this. We, ha- we kind of have to. Boom. Move on. Ad break. I felt a little bit sorry for the cleaners as well. I was like, they're going to have to turn that around fast because <laughs> there was so much bloody ticker tape and confetti. But what did you think, Amber? Sorry, the sentence continues to be spectacular. It's amazing, yes. yeah. Yeah, this was sort of, um, I would call this unfussy in its structure. And I think, if anything, it served to kind of undermine the feeling of victory at the end because it didn't feel like he'd had to climb much of a mountain. If anything, I think it vindicated the point that he should have won the title on the first Dynamite after he beat MJF mm. because that would have felt more like he's climbed a mountain because he's just overcome this huge... I know MJF wasn't hard work physically, but he's just overcome this enormous mental hurdle, the biggest one in his life for the last two years. And while he's on this run and while we're all sort of on the roller coaster with him, oh my God, he's just won a title as well. Like That would have the, the, the requisite euphoria. This was the formality. It played out as such. It was the gentleman's three equivalent of this specific formality, and I enjoyed it for those reasons. But there was very little in the match that matched some of the more spectacular moments in Wardlow's run thus far. And I think missing those was maybe what like, left a little bit of emptiness within the celebrations. I was really pleased to see it. I was happier more with AEW as a company for how they presented this than I was Wardlow winning the title. So I wasn't feeling, yeah, go on, that's my guy lifting the belt. It was like, nice one, AEW. You've just done the right thing here. And that's... That's ne- like you want both, but you never mm. want them that way around. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So good. Uh. I'm more excited for the rain to come than I think I was him actually winning the belt. I think that was. I realise now that was definitely lost on night one. You put it on him then, otherwise you just it's we're sitting around waiting for this to happen and it happened. No need to have a photo with him wearing two belts though. I've just say it now and just get it out of the way. I'm not going to go on a big rant, but I saw the photo this morning and I was like, away. This doesn't make any sense, but still. Preview for the next week about what his belt's going to look like. Yes. Yeah, Wardlow design. Doesn't need two of them. Uh, <laughs> John Moxley's backstage hyping up the main event, of course, with Brody King for the a- interim AW World title. He says he's not going to be caught off guard. He knows what kind of type of monster he's taking on in Brody King. He did look like a monster, to be fair. Um, but people forget that Moxley's a monster, too, beating uh, the lovely face oh, and the hair of uh, Tanahashi um, at Forbidden Door. And then a few days later, cutting people up in blood and guts. He knows who King is, uh, and Moxie will find out just how badly he wants it. Step up or get stepped on, he said. This was an excellent John Moxley promo. It's the only type he knows. Um, but I like this less the more the show went on because I realized that Brody King wasn't getting anything remotely similar. <laughs> I thought they really undersold the... Um, the threat of King from King himself. It was put on Moxley's shoulders to sell, well, Moxley's shoulders plus the, the Battle Royal, I guess, mm. to sell who Brody King was in terms of an individual threat to John Moxley's title tonight. And their, it's not exactly their one job, but you kind of had one job tonight. This very, very predictable interim title match and the interim title, not even the real world title, a very predictable interim title match. You've got to do your absolute level best over two hours to present the challenger as more than just somebody at film main event time. And they didn't do it. So as the show progressed, I thought, well, maybe you should have just given this slot to Brody King instead. We know all we're ever going to need to know about who John Moxley is at this point. If you're going to try and sell me on this main event, use the challenger rather than the champion. And I, th- I think ultimately, and we'll get to it, I think the match suffered as a result. It suffered for a number of reasons, but I think it suffered as a result. Uh, and then, I wanted to come to you first on this as well. Mark Sterling and Tony Nese are backstage. They've got a petition to try and get Swerve Strickland removed from the roster. Uh, they asked Keith Lee to sign it. Um, 
And, well, I was going to write out, but I knew it would just wind you up. So I was, ju- I thought I'd just pass to you here because he says, Indeed, we may have some issues, but Swerve is still my partner. We are still together and we are still winning, unlike you, Tony Nice. But you were not a fan of, of Mark Sterling's appearances on this show. I do appreciate the exposition when your angles have been running for several months and I'm boredless of all of them. Um, I'd hate this, you know. I really hate this. I'd, it's... Sounds maybe irrational because they take up like a minute of television time and there's a lot more wasteful use of television time in AEW than Mark Sterling gags. That's what they are, the gags, right? Wardlow was trapped in one. Jade Cargill was associated with one. Now you've just elevated Orange Cassidy to being a potential world title contender and you're dragging him into the soup of another Mark Sterling gag. Danhausen fits at least, but I think he's more over than a Mark Sterling gag. Mark Sterling got some power backstage because that's what this feels like. I feel like I've watched enough wrestling in my time to think that like he's somebody really likes him at the moment, and as a result, it's like well we can't get enough Sterling. He was like MJF's guy, like and a and a side guy at that as well. Like that, MJF is the type of character that every now every now and then needs to deploy a lawyer, and that's like a real dick move in pro wrestling, isn't it? Oh, you're going to get your legal team, like you absolute wet wipe, like the worst case scenario. Now it's he's become like gimmick pro wrestling lawyer. This is a fucking circus, like. You know, this is TNA would do stuff like this. Like AJ Styles, if you beat Christopher Daniels, you don't have to take a DNA test over Claire Lynch's baby. Don't take the DNA test. Oh, I've lost to Christopher Daniels. I'm going to have to take a DNA. Like <laughs> wrestling, wrestling matches dictating legal circumstances is fake as, and it doesn't belong in AEW. Like, and people need to understand the difference between like a Danhausen or an Orange Cassidy or the things that do belong in AEW versus things that don't. This, for me, really, really does not. And the fact that we got more than one segment of it. Yeah, there's one like, later with Orange Cassidy and, and I, I just, I don't know, maybe this maybe this is just a me thing, but I found this to be a real piss boiler. Uh, it p- pissed me off. It's just wacky nonsense. And if you if you apply the logic and follow follow the route here, um, so what happens is that Smart Mark Sterling gets a petition, right? And a few people think that, you know what, so if Strickland, if there's one less wrestler... You know what? Maybe I can get a better spot. So he gets enough signatures where it's like, oh, okay, there's something here. And uh, Smart Mark Sterling goes up to Tony Khan, who was the canon matchmaker. Mm-hmm. I think he's even been referred to as the general manager of All Elite Wrestling on socials and all the rest of it, right? So Smart Mark Sterling goes to Tony Khan, says, right, there's a lot of people who want Swerve Strickland removed from this roster, right? Do you know what Tony Khan says in response to Smart Mark Sterling on the subject of Swerve Strickland? Oh, he's been great for us. Uh, he's been really great for us. It's a sign. <laughs> uh, we honestly didn't realize why the competition would even let him go. I thought it was a crazy mistake. Uh, but he's been so great for us since he signed. Uh, lo- moved lots of different business metrics. But Dynamite really, this week on TBS. Don't miss it. It's a great show we got gr- coming up on it's Dynamite. It's a great show. We've got a great show. Great card of action. Uh, Swerve Strickland's going to be a part of it. He's been a great hire for us. Uh, so sorry, Smart Mark Sterling. He's been great. He's been great. Uh, he's been so great for us. Um, Particularly over the last nine days. <laughs> so that's ultimately what would happen. And then you could say, like, all right, okay, Leon Ruff. Mm. Okay. Oh, what about um, Bear Country? Don't like what they're doing. And, you know, they're, they're just really on dark and really on rampage. And they just, eat. oh, they've been great for us since he came in. <laughs> uh, they've been really great for us. Uh, you know, I think a lot of, uh, I just didn't understand why WWE let him go, to, to, to be honest with you. But he's going to be a, a great. Um, part of our future. Don't forget uh, Rampage on TNT this Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Got a great card of action. So that's what would happen. Get rid of a wrestler. I only know to sign them. <laughs> like that would be like it's just ridiculous. Like Grayson Waller gets a title match in NXT this way, and we take the piss out of it. NXT is a silly show where silly stuff can belong. 
this is freaking dynamite. Yeah. Like, it's just not on. Yeah, and I just, uh, you know, I like the the Danhausen figure, but I didn't like people going so entertaining this backstage segment with uh, Danhausen shouting legal terms and then organizing a match between Orange Cassidy and Tony Nese. I was like, was it? I was just kind of like, Cassidy. could we have given this time to another match? Orange or Cassidy. Not another match, but the match that was already on the card. Yeah. Orange Cassidy is two years beyond the, this feud. Like two years yeah. of character development and at least a month of a serious pedestal that he's just been placed on. It's two years beyond this nonsense. And I know I'm the low Orange Cassidy guy, but I'm trying to stay high because they've made me feel oh, that yeah. way. And I don't want him doing this. This is a massive, massive regression. Um, speaking of things I thought, hmm, interesting take online about this one. Christian Cage and Luchasaurus uh, come out. And Christian's on the mic saying uh, fans want to know why he did what he did, why he turned, uh, why Luchasaurus is, is aligning with him. And who should interrupt but one Matt Hardy who called Christian the Michael Jordan of being an asshole. He says, Jungle Boy's my friend. Christian screwed him over. Uh, Jungle Boy didn't deserve that. Um, and Christian fired back saying, you don't know half the stuff I know about Jungle Boy. You're starting to make your brother sound like the sober one, which obviously is a thing that's got a lot of attention online today. Um, look, Hardy said, Christian was only here to, to utilize, to you know abuse and use uh, Luchasaurus and make as much money as possible. And I know that makes him a hypocrite because he did the exact same thing with Private Party and the Butcher and the Blade, but he regrets it and he's now here to make sure no one else gets taken advantage of. Um, Christian said that Matt was only out of here out of here because of his massive ego. He says he can't stand when you're, you can't stand when your name's not in the headlines. You'll use your kids, you'll use your wife, you'll use your lawnmower, you'll use your property, you'll even turn a blind eye to your brother's issues just to ride his coattails one last time. Uh, and he says, meanwhile, I'm the hottest star in wrestling, and you just want to be near me. You're the biggest embarrassment to your family, and that causes Matt to flip out and attack him, but obviously Luchasaurus grabs him, beats him up, kicks his head into the ring post, and then chokeslams him through the timekeeper's table, uh, whilst Cage tells him, Matt, you're welcome. Now your name's in the headlines. We had a big old moan on Twitter this morning, so I'll try not to repeat all of it. Um, mileage is going to vary on the Jeff Hardy line, and I've seen some sort of defense of it, but I, I'm not sure that's even the point, right? Wrestlers agreeing on things backstage and everything being kosher. And I felt this went underreported at the time, but the Marco Stump one, I think I said it on the podcast, I was like, I'm not so sure that's on, you know. And then I think that's brought that into sharper focus this week. Marco Stunt's come out and said he wasn't happy with it. Yeah, and he said, well, I wasn't told. And, you know, like, there's no sort of cooperation there. So even if you were okay with the Jeff Hardy thing, and I'm like, I'm not really asked about that debate with other people, that's that's one thing. But if, like, Matt's had this cooperation, and he's like, no, no, Jeff would be fine. You know, it's business, whatever. Like, my problem is that I don't think wrestlers should be, in, be being asked the question in the first place. Look, you okay if we do this thing about your brother tonight? Well, I am, but can we just be more creative instead, please? Mm. Like, I, I just, I think this is, this. I, was, I, I tweeted about it this morning, and then there was a few replies saying, I really, really liked it. I think Jeff is this thing. And it's all in good faith. There's nobody being like a mass, a couple of people. Most people not being, <laughs> not being arseholes about it, right? But it was a, it's a bit like, like <laughs> having a row with your better half, and one of you is more in the wrong than the other, depending on the row. And you are focusing on... He was focusing on the micro detail when really it's about a macro detail. It's about a problem that neither of you have been asked to deal with and then you're dealing with it at the moment, but it comes out with a petty grudge. So one person super focused on the petty grudge and says, it's not really about that. It's not really mm. about that. And that's what I felt here. It's like, this is not just uh, Christian invoking Jeff Hardy's alcoholism 
DUIs, by the way. Remember when Cena did it with the Usos? You're trivializing the fact that a guy was like, that could have been awful. Yeah. Really awful things could happen when like pissed people get behind the wheel of a car and you don't glamorize it, glorialize it, trivialize it, or any of that sort of stuff. And yet they're doing it because I think you made a point yesterday. How does Christian top it? Yes. So like, well, you've created that situation for yourself and this is the route you decided to go down. Wrestling's not real. Invent a drama and sell me that instead. Hangman Page was a pillar for people who suffer with anxiety, mental health problems, and there was a that was tinged with reality. He was not a functioning alcoholic because wrestling is not real. What that was was a reflection of a real-life way in which people cope with their demons used as a character to tell a very, very long story that people absolutely fell in love with. MJF was not a parasocial like maniac, effective, effectively, but there were elements of reality with which you could fold into the story in which he pretended to be one mm-hmm. because convincing performers can sell you a story. Like, these are the stories that we celebrate AEW for because they do it different or they reinvent, like, it's the wheel, still goes around, but they've reinvented it. They've said, oh, there is a different way to tell the same story that you've heard over and over again. This is why AEW exists because WWE have served you all of this for so long that you've kind of just become tolerant of it and thought, oh, yeah, that's the way it's got to be. Chucked it in your face yeah. like a jug of piss. Like, yeah. I, I, the example, yeah, the example I used was like, like sort of, I just, I said, like the analogy was like low-hanging fruit. Like, learned to like the, t- like, like the taste of very, very bland low-hanging fruit until AEW said, well, what about all that up there? Like, over <laughs> and over and over again, they said, there's all that fruit up there, but WWE have just made you assume that the only fruit you can grab for is the low-hanging. As a company, they are going for the low-hanging fruit all over and over again, and I feel like that's the problem. It's not what Christian said, and it's not Christian's delivery was great, and you can love the Christian Cage character. It's not really to do with any of that. It's about the fact that this is the route in the first place. People will say we're being hypocritical here as well because we were you know, loving the whole you know, shooting on the, the, dead, the dead father of Jungle Boy in previous weeks. How is this different? It's different. I guess it's more raw. It's more fresh in the minds of the audience. And it's different because this is meant to be the goddamn alternative. Um, it's different because there was an actual art to the GP, as we discussed. Where MJF it's like, is the guy. Yeah. He's the guy. You can't just transpose the way he does his stuff onto another heel. Sorry, Sage. No, I, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But the difference is that they had a really awful way of making the cheap heat line resonate as it did because the penny dropped of, oh, my God, this whole time. That's why it's gravitated towards Christian Cage because maybe he does seem as a father figure in lieu of the fact that his father had passed away. So that was it. There was the push the line of it, mm. the push the boundary of it, but I still thought that way made it work. This is just the thing that WWE does with Jeff Hardy every single time. That poor man. I can't pity him too much. I don't want to get into that on a podcast. No. Uh, because it's a very sort of nuanced and complex situation, but like, like that poor man, just his entire life is fictionalized by Connie's ultimately. And Jesus, maybe at this point, his brother's one of them. Maybe the maybe Matt plays to call it Jeff. How's your headspace? Are oh, we going to do this on telly? Mm. I, I, I'm not. I, just, I don't want to think about this kind of stuff when I'm watching my escapist entertainment. Yes, exactly. Ultimately. I'm more offended by the imminent prospect of Luchasaurus versus Matt Hardy at Fighter Fest. My God, I've never skipped a second of Dynamite in my life, right, ever. I watch it at 4 a.m., an hour after it's been uploaded to Fight on D-Lakes. It finishes at 3 a.m. in, in real-time UK time, right? I love the show and watch it religiously, so much so that if I think I've missed a 10-second pre-tape, I'll go back and make sure to do the Dynamite the AW lock screen, effectively. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'll go back to it for 10 seconds just to make sure I don't miss a literal thing. If I see Luchasaurus versus Matt Hardy at Road Rager, or I'm just going to not watch it. I'm just going to not watch it. 
Why do they feel a need to get Matt Hardy on television when he's contributed so little to this product and now he's doing corny stuff about Jeff? Again, absolutely ridiculous. Um, ultimately, at this point as well, it's uh, I'm criticizing the art of it more than the cheap heat. Like Christian Cage is trying way too hard here. Trying absolutely way too hard. It's one thing, and it was believable when he's had this long association with Jungle Boy to really go studs up, both feet up for the horror challenge, right? Like, yes, he's got history with Matt Hardy, but just uh, just trying way too hard to fill the MGF void. Mm. And nobody will feel the strongly about whatever the payoff is. Christian versus Jungle Boy should be awesome, but nobody will feel the way they did. And like we know this already. It's just it's a feeling. You can't. It's the intangibles, isn't it? You can't explain it necessarily. But no, this will not stand in the pantheon of classic AW rivalries in the way that some of those other ones did. And yet, this is the thing they're going to. I was just doing the maths while you were speaking there. Matt Hardy was 19 years younger when he was having those brawls with Kane. That's effectively the formula they're going to follow yeah. next week. 19 years ago. That's, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Anyway, um, what came next? Here's the thing. If we didn't have the... And this isn't me specifically pointing out Mark Sterling, but if we didn't have the two Mark Sterling segments, we could have seen the whole Matt Menard Daddy Magic promo that next... Um, yeah. There was a little video package highlighting blood and guts. Uh, you, you know, everyone has been talking about it for the last 24, 36 or so hours since it was obviously mm. uploaded as part of the road too. Um, but yeah, uh, it's in summary, Danny Magic saying he did it for Jericho and then that was cut. And then Regal uh, was talking about never seeing such destruction and Kingston saying he wanted more. And that led in to a confrontation backstage between uh, Jake Hager and Claudio Castagnoli. Of course, these two have got a lot of history together. Uh, but I, I do... Love the whole, it's been a gentleman's agreement or an agreement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, no violence here. So these two people who were beating the piss out of each other seven days ago are just stood there going back and forth and George acting like you would a boxing press conference. Uh, Hager said Claudio wasn't as tough, wasn't as hard oh. as he was. Uh, I can't remember who tweeted, but the, the little... Hmm? The little face from Claudio, <laughs> it was absolutely great. Uh, and he pointed out, obviously, Claudio's been everywhere, but never won a world title, unlike him. Uh, Claudio said, look, I beat Zack Sabre Jr., uh, then I beat Jericho's team at Blood and Guts, and next week I'll go 3-0 and against you. I think this is good. This is good. I continue to love... I think they said signed a waiver, right? 
I would love it if they doubled down or like just really expanded on what this is and just say, look, you know the deal here. If there's any fighting breakout, any fighting breaks out, you get fined. Yes. Right? Like a reason for them to not do the thing they do in every other backstage segment. I like how they've kind of danced around it to make it less redundant and contrived, mm. right? I would like to say, like, I would like them to say, oh, you know the deal, guys, get fine if in this context you have a fight. Because that way, when you break that rule, it'll mean something. This guy hates them so much that they're willing to risk a fine at something. But I do genuinely like it. Mm. And this is all incredibly basic stuff. But Claudio, again, when he's not in the middle of the ring doing hard camera stuff, it's similar with Tony Storm. It's just there's a way to, there's certain outlets through which some people should do promos. And for Claudio, for me, this is his way of doing it. And he was absolutely more than serviceable and even witty in his own not particularly funny way as a result. Yeah, this was over. This, I'm scared about, I, I'll talk about it in the preview, actually. I'll save it for the preview. <laughs> I'm scared about this match. <laughs> this was over in the moment, and um, Hager wants to be so grateful that he got that one world title run. Because what a cool thing to hold over. Yeah, head. I like that. Like you well. needed something as your, as, your sort of, as your big killer line to say, well, no matter what you say, I've got this as like evidence effectively that I'm better at you. And I just thought that was like, that was such an ideal thing to mine. Then this week's Dynamite um, broke a record because it was time for the Butcher and the Blade versus Swerve in our glory. Keith Lee and uh, Swerve Strickland, of course. Um, I did like how annoyed the Butcher got that he got out-monstered early on by Keith Lee, basically. Um, not a great idea, if you're wrestling Keith Lee, to start by slapping him in the face, <laughs> Blade. Uh, Butcher comes in uh, and they lock up and then, yeah, Butcher tries to, to sort of use the ropes to his advantage, he climbs up on the second rope and he just chucks him off it. And Butcher's like, right, I've had it. I'm getting a chair, which, you know, a, a lot of the times I'm like, oh, why are you getting a weapon? But that, I, I, I really like that as a touch of just like, he's so angry that Blade's like, whoa, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just going to twat him with a chair. I'm not having this. He's making a mug out of me, basically. Um, eventually, Swerve and Blade tag in. There's a miscommunication on the old leapfrog thing, which didn't look great. Um, Swerve tags Lee in. He knocks Blade down. They use their tags very well until uh, a bit of an interference from uh, Bunny allows Butcher and Blade to take over to take us to commercial. When we come back, Swerve finally gets out of it, diving uppercut, brings in Keith Lee. He runs wild on both Butcher and Blade, uh, but then accidentally, sort of, uh, pounces his partner, Swerve, who gets pulled into the path of uh, and Keith Lee on the warpath, basically. Um, and there's a near fall after Butcher and Blade just hit him with everything. Uh, the stunner, the lariat from Butcher. Uh, he got chucked into Blade's knee, and there's a running knee. And it basically gets a three count because mm -hmm. Keith Lee misses the save, but it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, Swerve flies back, uh, hits Butcher with that running thrust kick, and then they hit him with the, the double team. I think it's called Swerve in our glory. Finish to get the one, two, three. I loved what happened immediately after this. So I'm, I've written it all down. So I'm going to save it till after the, the analysis of the match, Hamflet. You know, I feel a bit guilty for my criticism of this because I was all prepared to say, and this is maybe a reflection of my view and experience at the time, that I thought this match badly lacked character. I didn't feel like I was watching the Butcher and Blade versus Swerve in our glory. I felt like I was watching four guys, four wrestlers having a wrestling match. And then the way you've described, particularly the Butcher's actions, and maybe think, was I just being harsh on this? Were they actually throwing the back end of this a little bit? And was I just put off by the botches or the miscommunications? I think, yeah, or maybe there was an element of that. Um, I mean, the Blade rule was absolutely fundamentally profoundly broken forever and ever and ever. That one's dead. Like, this Dynamite is confirmed. That Blade rule is dead because this Dynamite was no good and the Blade did wrestle and this match wasn't even that great. I also lost a little bit of interest in the swerve in our glory thing here. Again, it's probably a vibe thing. Um, 
yes, they're miscommunicating. Yes, there's been the odd bits of tension. That's why they should be splitting it right. They're winning. Like, do you know, if, if this is real, do you not put that... It's Roddy Strong and the Creed brothers. It's like, I'm so angry with you becoming tag team champions and having <laughs> your most successful professional year thus far. Like, I was a bit put off by the whole thing. And, and I didn't like what you're about to put over huge, particularly. So I think I was just... Oh, it was only one element of what I okay. like. Okay, next. Like, so I, you can probably guess which bit I'm talking about. It was, it was, it was just all right. Like I couldn't force myself to feel loads for like, oh god, it like swerving our glory are falling apart at the seams. This is the last thing I want. Come on, guys! I, d- I didn't get any of that. No, it just. Uh, I'm not really into the swerving our glory split, nor in fact anything Keith Lee or Swerve Strickland are doing um, of late. It just feels like they are two extra bodies that you. Don't not sign because they're so immensely talented, but they absolutely have different plans about titles and all the rest of it. So they can, like, you know, they can tack on to the end of a tag team match and do a three-way at a pay-per-view, and then they can feud with each other. Just they've got no ideas for these two, but they had to sign them because they're so talented. And this was just grimly evident with this tag team split deal that they're doing. It just feels like they're on their own, like island of doing things. And that don't really impact AEW on the whole, and any attempts to get them to integrate that into a tag team title match next week just feels very, very contrived. They exist to not exist. This tag team exists mm. to not exist. And you can put them in a tag team title uh, match, and you can have them win on dark. Still doesn't change the fact for me that they don't exist as a team. They just exist as two guys who team them and then split them and then do something later on. Yes. So it's hard to take them seriously as characters. And this match was an absolute mess. There were cool things in it, obviously, because there were some very talented wrestlers on in, in it. Um, but, like, just they got lost in there. You could see them audibly frozen. Like, they were prelim people on NXT 2.0 in the log who were going, what do we do? They recovered quicker than, you know, the NXT 2.0 <laughs> roster do. They just was, do the spot again in NXT. Yeah, but it was still like, oh, crisis. Oh, my God. I was just, and because the tour was very early, the, um, the sweep botch where they were just like, it was Blade and Swerve, and they just looked at each other for what a split second, but because it's these two and it's the show which you hold the highest stance, oh, my God. And I just couldn't get into it because you think, oh, if I get into this, they're just going to do it again. And that spell... The sacred feeling of I'm watching something awesome and this is the best. And that because that spell was never cast, I was waiting for them to botch and they actually did, and it's just a complete goddamn mess. I saw what came afterwards, because out comes Richard Starks, uh, and uh, <laughs> Hobbs, Hobbs is furious, tired of all this disrespect, and oh, Ricky Starks was absolutely livid here, and I, I love him. Happy, sad, sexy, whatever it is, I love him. Uh, he says, we've been real nice to you. He says, we could have ended your career online or on this mic. You want to act, you know, you... Like Brian Cage is on the show, or he's on. <laughs> I didn't think like that. Yeah, like we've done it before. I it don't like, remind me how much Brian Cage sucks because he's in Gates of Agony, is he not? He's yeah, not going to be on Rampage, but he's in that unit. Yeah. Weird. Come on. Uh, Gates of Agony is just the login screen to Twitter at this point yeah, for Brian Cage. <laughs> Um, you two want to act like you're somebody, but every time you're in the ring, you're on the mic. You prove that there are they that there's there's levels, and you're not on our level. You're several uh, you're, you're several levels beneath us. Here's the deal, he says. You want to talk about the best time, the best tag team. You want to talk about the best tag team, and here come the young bucks. Their music hits. Um, they uh, they cut their music. You say you might as well have said our name. You might as well have cued our music yourself. Sorry for interrupting. Actually, no, we're not. We started this damn company. Uh, he said, look, great match. What were you watching? Um, <laughs> this tag division's on fire, um, but 
let, everyone's eating well, but let's not forget who set the table in the first place. Um, he said, look, but both these teams, you, you're good. You're good. And a double or nothing, you had a hell of a match. Four and a half stars. And then they say, that's an off night for the Young Bucks. Uh, and you couldn't even get the job done. Jurassic Express beat you, and then we beat them a few weeks later. But they've got a proposal. How about they go triple or nothing? Uh, next week, three-way tag team match. Huge chance for FTR at this point. And Nick goes, now nah, bollocks to FTR. We're better than them. Uh, and Matt sets it up. Uh, these three teams will face each other next week. Why is it always a three-way tag match? <laughs> what is, what's going on? Why do they always do this? Oh, God. I was just... Uh, I was bargaining with the AW Tag Team Division about a month or so ago. I was like, oh, it's Christian. He's trying to push Jungle Boy. Even though he wanted him to have loads of money. Shouldn't he have been saying, oh, you know what you should have a match with? And I'm the matchmaker, so this is official. Um, Wait, Bear Country. Bear Country. Yeah. Right. You just wanted the pay window. <laughs> So none of this makes any sense. <laughs> but the three-way stuff was, uh, maybe I just want to test him, or maybe I'd start, I've started to dislike whatever. I was just, I had a little bit of a thought of why they were doing this. That kind of made sense, even though Christian Cage was making the matches and it didn't. And now the books, I guess they're EVPs. I don't want to think about that. Just have just have a committee. Just have Jack Tony, bring him back. <laughs> just have a committee make the matches that make the most sense. Because this one doesn't. Only in the sense, the only way it makes sense is if you completely take yourself out of the promotion and think, well, you can get both of those tag teams out of the way, and then all they're stuck with is FTR for, for all out or whatever. But that's it's one of those where it's yet. like the more you think about it, the more questions you have to ask, and the more I the less ideal this makes the entire mm. process. So FTR are the number one ranked team in AEW. You will have someone invariably defend this promotion as if you have to. You don't have to. Tell them to be better. Dax Harwood himself banters off the yeah, no, <laughs> every week. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> so you could say that, all right, okay, well, they're busy defending the ROH and the IWGP. Or oh, get them out of the AEW rankings then. Mm. Get them out of the rankings. Certainly, what, certainly don't have them later on in the show go, uh, Briscoe Brothers, you want to do it again? <laughs> so I understand that they, you could say something to the effect of how they're training for the We'll put it about the AW rankings. Yeah, this whole thing is really confusing the more you actually try and think about it. And another thing, a very minor quibble is that uh, Nick Jackson said four and a half stars is an off night for us, right? What was the last star rating you got? <laughs> <laughs> what was the last? I don't know if this is meant to be like a really a deep cut self-own where it's, you know, the Jericho stuff where, where he's magic, where it's like, who wears a scarf? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was that kind of deep cut self-own, but I don't. <laughs> we sucked at Forbidden Door. <laughs> we sucked by our immaculate standards at Forbidden Door. And they lost the match. Mm. I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about it too much, but I'm thinking about way too much as it pertains to this entire match, which will be incredible, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, can we go on to the next bit that I hate? Because I really hated the next bit. Is After this the promo? I think, I, I think I know what we're getting to, yeah. Yeah, not a lot to add. Just that the, I like the idea of the Young Bucks being like, ah, we're the best tag team in the world. We'll take on this whole division. Not you. Like an FTR over there yeah. in that corner. But I think even that's a little bit headcanon. That's not why... They're ranked number one. Yeah, that's that's not why we've got this three-way match. And it's like, well, take you all on, not you. Like, I'd love that to be the Young Bucks shtick. Because really, that's the story. That's what... This was a perfectly fine way to build to a match. But they're not telling us a story here, are they? And the story is the FTR story. Remember... I'm having to do the leg. Yes, way. exactly. Remember when Tony Khan did an absolutely genuinely fantastic job of styling the ratings when it was like... I think it was Anthony Ogogo wasn't the number one contender even though he had the most wins. Yeah, came, yeah. Maybe he was ranked even. But like, Tony Khan was like, quality of competition counts and all the rest of it. 
Like, if Tony can't just feed them a line, like, they should have the sense to say, not only is there a plot hole, but your audience is intelligent. You've been treating them with intelligence for three years. They are obviously an FDR really over. They might chant FTR, or at least if they don't do it in the building, people online are going to say something to the effect of, what about FTR? Have the style ready. Have the explanation ready as to why it's not them, and this wasn't forthcoming, so I'm asking the question, yeah, because those same intelligent sorry, those same intelligent people are basically saying, "Well, we know why it's because you're saving it for all out." Yes, but then if you say, "Well, you're saving it for all out," that means well, the young bucks are going to win every single time. Yeah, I know, I know. Like this, this fake premise of a match, like there's no purpose for it to exist because the young bucks are getting the belt all the way to September for the winner take all match. Is there not an easy fix for this, which we've sort of mentioned in talking about this, which is put the FTR vignette earlier. They say we want to face the Briscoe brothers again. People said it was, you know. A fluke or whatever. Yeah. We're you know we're seven star FTR. We'll fight anyone. We we want to we want to hold all the gold, but we also want to feel like we justify holding all the gold. So let's run it That's back. Brilliant. Perfect. That and then the young bucks come out and go. Well, we, let's have a look at the rankings. Well, we can't fight them because they're obviously busy with yeah. death, death, death. Somebody wants to go to Ring of Honor. Like yeah. they can neg them for it, really even easy. though it's you know it's a baby face thing that they want to take the world on. That's a spot on solution. I hate being able to book this promotion better, <laughs> especially if it's me. I mean, what's <laughs> the bar there? Uh, then there's a House of Black talking bollocks promo. Um, <laughs> Um, there's you know Brody King there, but we don't hear from him. We hear yeah. from Malachi Black, who says Moxley inflicts pain on himself and others, but Brody King will leave his mark on him even further. So it turned out the cool main event we wanted was the match to build up a match. Yeah, God. Then let's talk about this Eddie Kingston promo, Sige. Because he comes out, uh, he tells tells Shimani because he's professional, he doesn't take his mic off him. Tells him just hold it up a little bit higher. Uh, and he talks about Jericho. Uh, well, sorry, he goes to be asked about Jericho. But he says, no, nah, before that, congratulations, Wardlow, new TNT champion. And congratulations to everyone on my team. Yes, even Claudio uh, for winning Blood and Guts. You see, look, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's growing. He's maturing. And then he does a raspberry with his mouth. Um, he says... I'm the real deal. And Jericho, you made me a liar. I didn't taste your blood. You didn't bleed. I'm going to get you again. But before he can really lay into him and set up another match, Jericho's backstage. He pops up on the Tron and he says, Eddie, you want to get crazy? You want to get crazy? And we see Tay Conti slamming Ruby Soho's hand in a door, injuring her. Um, cool. And Ange sort of wipes his feet, kicks dirt on her, which was a lovely touch. I love him so much. I love both of the 2.0 lads, obviously. But I saw you you were furious along with this uh, on Twitter this morning. I'm sure the mega fans will forgive you repeating this take. I'm just going to be honest. I don't care that you broke your elbow. <laughs> it's what the AEW commentary team said <laughs> when they didn't sell this. Oh, my God. Okay. On to the next thing. Someone breaking their arm should mean something. If if someone breaking their arm or potentially fracturing their... Hiding an out, man. You weren't getting a fireball getting settled, so this didn't stand a chance. Uh, against a man. <laughs> yeah. so I've got absolutely no chance of bloody Ruby Soho's arm getting broken. Like, the last time they did this angle, right? It's classic. Absolutely classic horseman stuff is the car door on the, on the limb. Like, Cody ran out. Backstage, apoplectic that the inner circle had done this to Dustin Rhodes, right? Um, there was a big melee where Dustin, like Cody was so concerned. There was such a focus on the concern about the near bad injury that Cody wouldn't even go for Jericho, who was perpetrated the attack alongside the inner circle. He didn't even want to, he just wanted to make sure that his brother was okay because he just had his arm nearly broken, right? Jericho 
also lit up the victory cigar. So you got to get the heel being a dickhead about it, and you got the baby face so concerned about his brother's broken arm mm -hmm. that he doesn't even go for the heel this time. And it's justified because he's so concerned because you've just seen a near serious injury happen. Cardor, arm, heels do this. Don't see Eddie Kingston for the rest of the show. The commentators go, oh, wow, that sucks. Anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It, people shouldn't be giving this a pass. It's bad, and it should be allowed to be analyzed as being bad because this was bad. It made me think less of Eddie Kingston, the character. He'll style it next week with an incredible promo. Mm -hmm. He'll talk about the history in Chikara with um, the former Heidi Lovelace. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it'll be great next week. And uh, I will, uh, maybe I should just let it play out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, more's the pity as well, because they've done the work. They've done the work, and then they work up. Like, they, last week, Ruby Soho, like, we've seen her in the pull aparts with Kingston and Punk before, but she's there physically. Like, if this is not a um, explained CM Punk's Ring of Honor theme music moment, she was out there last week to dispose of Ty Conti. So Ty Conti wants her own personal revenge as well as the Jericho Appreciation Society wanting to kind of make good for what happened to them last week, right? So you've established that relationship in the match, so you build two away. What we were just talking about yesterday, well, how are we going to get to Jericho? Where's the heat now in Jericho versus Kingston? It's here. They actually put that in place last week for something they were going to do this week, and then it's come to the moment and they mishandled it. And I'll just touch on this, because, like, Cedric has rightfully hammered that the most important thing was exactly what Cedric's pointed out. This looked crap, and it was taped. Do it again. Like, she had a hand there for ages. This looked rubbish. It's like the Kane, Eva, who was it? Eve Torres? Mm. Yeah. Ambulance stuff where I was live and I like, yeah. completely botched the cube. It's, like, it's live, so I just have well, to. So he has to pull the door shut again. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's just taped. Just do it until it looks good. <laughs> like, Jagan, I'm fine. We're good. Let's go. Get this tape off me. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, the fact it looked bad was, like, kind of just compounded, I think, the bigger issue. Again, it's the, it's the same real problem as the Christian thing. It's not just the content I'm looking at. It's what it represents, and it's their willingness to be sloppy and slapdash. Like, that, that's what we hold it to standards-wise. It's not just what you're getting. It's the effort and the intent of it as well. Mm. Well, switching gears now, um, <laughs> they had a promo from the Dark Order. Obviously, they're in Rochester, Brody Lee, the history there. Uh, and out comes negative one, flanked by Evil Uno, John Silver, Alex Reynolds, 10, and Anna Jay. Uh, Silver says they're, they're hyped to be in Rochester. They're in Dark Order country. And Evil Uno says, look, he's got something important to tell us. He wants to make sure everything, uh, everyone hears it, sorry. Um, they are what made the Dark Order uh, wh what they are. He wants to thank us, everyone in Rochester, for showing up, for supporting. And he has to announce that the six of them are here to stay. And they've even got a proclamation. But it's not for him to say. He knows who should say. He gives the, the mic to Negative One. But before he can say anything, out comes QT Marshall calling Negative One a charity case. He says, look, Brody Lee was a legend. Uh, he even beat me, I think he said at one point. Um, but Negative One, you take after your mother. He challenged Negative One to a fight and looks like they're going to get into it. And out comes Hangman Page. Uh, and him and the whole of the Dark Order just murder QT. Um, and uh, finishes with uh, 10 hitting Brody Lee's discus lariat. And Negative One stands over him and says, look, I would beat you up. I would pin you, but I'll probably wait till I'm 19 to do that. What do you make of this? Lovely touch. Good LTST. Um, QT was funny. And they've been doing loads of factory Dark Order stuff on Dark and Dark Elevation that's led you into believing that the Dark Order have finished. So that is a payoff. Like, this wasn't entirely wasted television time from a narrative point mm -hmm. of view. Say, lovely gesture is kind of the main thing. But at this, it was so weird watching this through television cameras when you used to see them through people's mobile phones after Dynamite and Rampage had gone off the air. Yeah. It felt like one of them segments versus something that 
you it was in Rochester. Like, yeah, it's uh, like I have nothing really to say on it because we know why it was there. It's just nice to be nice. It's nice that AW is a promotion that will dedicate time to it. But it's like there's no to analyze. Yeah, it, it was nice. Yes, exactly. A lovely touch. Uh, Jim Ross came out for hour two. They started doing more of this, haven't they? Yeah, and I hate it. I think it's, sh- it's not just. Uh, I don't think Jim Ross is ultimately worth it. Because he's more of a, it detracts just as much as he enhances. And if you've got people who just enhance, why get the guy who detracts? This is a very troubling thing that I think is very stupid. And it's weird that they don't think it's stupid. So what you get is Jim Ross is on Dynamite for two hours. You're kind of stuck with him if you don't like him. And I know people do, and I will absolutely concede this fact. I'm going to try and be quick about this because it's quite a lot of show to go through. Um, so he's on Dynamite for two hours. And you don't get the experience of what it would be like without Jim Ross. Wouldn't would it be better if he wasn't here? Because he's on the show for two hours. Then Rampage kind of it's kind of an equalizer for people who don't like Jim Ross. I know that there are people who do, because it's like it's not as thrilling or live or as electrifying as Dynamite. Mm. So it just feels like they cancel each other out. The first two hours of Bindor were amazing, and maybe the <laughs> fact that Jim Ross wasn't there, maybe personally, subjectively for me, had something to do with it. Look, I'm Plus not no jeans. <laughs> I, I'm not alone in thinking Jim Ross actively detracts and kind of kills the vibe a little bit on Dynamite, right? There's a lot of people who bury him on this show, right? Having him not be there for an hour, and then oh, here comes Jim to talk about, like, the referee. Taz had to remind Jim Ross during Roosh versus Penta that the referee can only call what he sees. Like, you know this, Jim. You're just annoyed with this specific promotion doing this specific thing quite often which you never would do in the fed ever so don't do it here be more professional and so you get the worst of both worlds you have the glimpse of the jrless world if you don't like JR, jim ross and then you get like you run into the person you don't want to run into in the pub Ugh. oh but it's <laughs> you i have to pretend to be nice um and then he's on rampage as well so you get two shows worth of jr now where you used to get one and on one of those shows you get the jrless commentary booth which is a bit better and then, ah, uh, here's what you could have won. Why do they play Bullseye? They're playing Bullseye with Jim Ross. They're playing Bullseye with Brian, Brian Danielson. It was a better show than Bullseye. Dynamite. <laughs> just, just do that. Is he uh, is he numbers? Is that why they've got him on Rampage? Do they think I've, he might help lend that show? i tell you bit. my anecdote about my mate. He was flicking around. Like one of my best mates in the world. Lapsed attitude era fan. Bored one night. What's on ITV4? Oh, wrestling. I used to like this. Oh, Jim Ross. It must be legitimate. Turns out he's now an absolute mega fan of AEW. Yeah. So. Uh, is that the like that shift that compromise of you still get you two hours, Jim? But we're actually going to use you for this because we need we need you for this. Like it's ego stroking while mm-hmm. simultaneously kind of shunting him a bit on dynamite. It's just the weirdest thing. Here's what you could have won: <laughs> Penta Oscuro versus Roosh uh, came next, um, and they beat the piss out of each other in this one, didn't they? Um, chops to start off with Penta uh, arm drags him out to the floor. Rush cuts him off with a forearm, and then the real fight that we came to see kicks off. Jose, the assistant, and Alex Abrahantes get into it, take us to a break. When we come back, I'm like, cool, what was happening with those two? Uh, no, Rush um, hits a power slam, but Penta grabs a backstabber after a two-count to, to get himself a near fall as well. Uh, Rush hits a rising knee for a near fall as well. Again, they just stop hitting each other as hard as they can in this match. Uh, Rush hit a missile drop kick to get another near fall for himself. Sent on again, two-count. Goes for the uh, bullhorn dropkick. Penta cuts him off, though, and hits the fear factor. Penta covers, but Andrade, who's there at ringside, 
puts Rusha's foot on the ropes. Uh, but the official doesn't, well, he doesn't see him putting his foot on the ropes. He sees the foot on the ropes. Breaks the call. Ray Phoenix, who's uh, one of the few people left out there who hasn't started a fight with the other team, uh, is not happy. This distracts the referee, uh, and Rush sees another opportunity. Low blows Penta, takes off his mask, <gasps> rolls him up. One, two, three. Just, it's what, double or nothing when they revealed Rush? Like, I've been waiting since then for AEW to show me a reason why they signed him. Like, I'm not particularly being cruel to Roosh here. It's obviously, you know, another... He's a... What is it? He's the symptom. He's a symptom of the problem rather than yeah. the problem itself. Yes. Um, but this match wasn't very entertaining. Yes, they were hitting each other really hard. But I think that was in an attempt to generate some heat because nothing they had between them was going to do it. Otherwise, this was, like, real basic bitch booking in the first place to put these characters together. Um, it was... Match to build the match stuff because you know you're going to get more down the line. This cannot be over. I'm sick of seeing Penta's mask ripped off as a finish. Like, just do a better job of tying it to your head so people can stop taking it because it's been happening for years, you thick idiot. Like, I'd say you don't need baby faces to be stupid. Yeah. That, I know he's being facetious there. This is a very salient point it's he's just making. Like, I, I, I don't know. I got nothing. I got I got less than nothing out of this because I've got like negative interest in Roosh now. So no, like I need him to have a banger just to make me think, hmm, is Roosh going to be worth it for them to then have another banger to be like, right now I get it. Like he's he's in negative equity with me now, and I just I don't see any way out for the majority of these characters to be honest. I was really poor. And the thing with Roosh as well, he's not just a banger merchant. In fact, he's um, not one of the better elite wrestlers in the world. I would say he's a charisma machine. He got an, he got a glimpse of that when he was doing the mocking of the um, Zero Miedo stuff, mm-hmm. but not that much. So bells and whistles. No one can have bells and whistles because no one who comes in can have the bells and whistles treatment as a huge star because they're all stars. He's signed too many bloody stars. So someone who's like charisma first, work rate second, can't feel like that in this incarnation mm-hmm. of AEW. I have very similar thoughts on the match um, itself, so I'll keep them brief. I felt like they were sort of compensating by hitting each other as hard as they did. Did not like that. Yeah. At the same time, it was a compromise to a great match, which this wasn't. There wasn't just it wasn't just a little bit dull, and then they hit each other really hard to make it less dull. And there was that moments where they were obviously trying to telegraph, well, trying not to telegraph things, but they came off telegraphed in the finish. Penta's a moron, and no one should ever wear a mask again. That's how much they've done it. It never feels like a transgression. You don't. You meant to think the heel is a dickhead for doing it, and now they've done it so often. And this company is indulging in excess across so many different things across the board that now it does. It's not a transgression. Why wouldn't you do it? The babyface is an idiot for not tying it properly. Like, come on. Uh, they announced a. Finally, the entire finally Samoa Joe versus Jay Lethal for the ROH TV title for Death Before Dishonor, which is shaping up to be a hell of a card. Uh, and there was a promo from Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh. Um, Sanjay Dutt is so happy. This is finally happening. It's chewing the scenery for me now. I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood. <laughs> uh, I did like the line. Satnam Singh is worth going out your way to see on Dark Elevation. So really? He's, uh, he's added a spinning razor's edge to his arsenal. He is, oh. he is better than Jay Lethal. <laughs> I did like the line from Jay Lethal. I'm not going to take you lightly, but I will take your title. I thought that was a nice little touch. <laughs> I said it already on Twitter. I did not have... Hmm, I think Ring of Honor might be better than AEW. <laughs> 2022 bingo card, but here we are. Hell of a card setting up that isn't AEW. Yeah. Hell of a card. Um, then we got another, the Mark Sterling, Orange Cassidy, Danhausen stuff. Very nice, very evil. Um, and really good. Uh, and then it was the uh, the eight-man. It was Hungry. 
rough in it. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was rough in it. Bear Boulder, Bear Bronson and Leon Ruff uh, and Fuego Dos Sol versus the acclaimed and the gun club. No rap from Max Caster. A sign of things to come, unfortunately. Um, I think it was Austin, possibly. Mm. Austin Gunn, who grabbed the mic off him and didn't allow him to do his usual. And that pissed Rochester off, understandably. Uh, but for the most part, the acclaimed and gun club worked well together. Um, I point this out to Andy on the news. It's very rare... I can remember a faction splitting off the back of a win. Mm. I've seen tag teams do it, you know, even, you know, when they win the tag titles, they turn on each other or whatever it may be. But not, I don't know, I thought it was an interesting uh, development because despite their clear issues between each other, they work together enough uh, to allow Bowens to hit a face buster on Boulder. Caster goes up top, but as he's about to jump off to hit the mic drop, Austin tagged himself in, tells Caster to get out of there, pins, um... Pins Bear Boulder for the victory for the team. But post-match, the two teams get into it. The acclaimed and the gun club, that is. And uh, shoving stuff going on. Billy gets in between them. What are you doing? My sons and the two children that I have as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was funny because I said this to Andy on the news as well. It was like he went, like one of them had knocked Caster over, I think. And it was almost like Billy Gunn went, what are you doing? Here's how you lariat someone, and he lays out Max Caster, and Bowen gets to his feet, and he's like, please, Daddy, scissor me. And Billy instead hits him with the Fame Master and celebrates with his sons. Um, the acclaimed, presumably, are now babyface, which is fantastic news. I, it's one of my favorite, if this makes sense, this is one of my favorite, least favorite things on this show. If this had have happened uh, in a show, or on a show, rather, that was just... Pretty much excellent. There was lots of very serious good stuff on it. I would have loved this. Yeah. I just wasn't in the mood for it. There's a brilliant inherent absurdity of, like, Bowen's playing the dying man. Please scissor me, daddy ass. <laughs> like, it's absurd, and the tonal shift in the way he's doing it this time is really, really quite amusing, hypothetically, but I was in a bad mood because the show wasn't very good. I just wish it was on a different show because this, this was... Good part of this. I liked the sinister scissoring by one of the guns <laughs> after they laid them both out. I, well, I like this because this was AEW at its core. This had a lot more like heart to it than so many other things on the show. Um, the stable you were trying to think of that split up after a win, of course, with the Shield. And in the great pantheon of wrestling stables, it probably goes the Shield, the Acclaim slash the Ass Boys. <laughs> so it's, you know, one and two. Yeah. Um, I like, the, again, on another Dynamite. Yeah, this I, I genuinely like this because I liked that they have taken the acclaimed was super over, right? But it's like, how do you organically turn them baby faces? And when they've thought about how do we turn them baby faces, they've thought, why don't we try and get some heels over in the process? So they've got the guns over as a result. So this, I would consider this a textbook AW success. Yeah. Get an act so over that you've got to turn them face because people just love them and would buy a ticket to watch the acclaimed in the openers in the spirit of the New Age Outlaws and Enzo and Cass. You've got an outlaw there. Let's do it with those guys. It's perfect, right? And they've done it. They've seen it all the way through, right to the point where you get a nice little twist because of the Billy Gunn thing from last week, which they have also put in place. This is AEW, even when it comes to mid-carders, slash lower-carders, slash whatever, operating on a better level, a higher level, to any other pro wrestler yep. in the world. Do it with, I don't know, your main eventers. Do it with your next big stars. Do it with everybody because you've done a fantastic job of doing it with your lower mid-card tag teams. This is this was all elite wrestling, but there was so little of it on this show that I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But ultimately... Bigger picture, more of this. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a video promo from Miro uh, targeting Malachi Black, who prays on the flawed. Uh, but that doesn't work on Miro because he's flawless. No lies detected. Um, and he said the Redeemer is coming. And then we got, oh, time actually. 
It's time for the game, first of all. Hang on, wait a second. What am I doing here? Get myself organised. Go on. <laughs> Deliver the result, please, for the game that is called... This is late as night. I'm thinking, oh, what a night. <laughs> I love the noise. Uh, I don't know, but I won. Okay. I, I, I Adam Blair hit us up on Twitter with say, yeah. 124, 124. That was the thing. It was I'm 125, sure. I think. But was I was, it? But I was closest with 124. Fowler. And you just got like 120 and 30. 129 yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a joke. This is late as night. And I'm thinking, oh, what a night. That's one I'm never going to put on a button because I like the live version too it's much. Just, it, it, like every noise is welcome at the end of it. it doesn't, it's you doing... Spout some toss in the microphone. Yes, I did, and it pays the bills, so my job's valid. Uh, <laughs> well, you'll never guess because they chucked Jade Cargill on after this. So it was. I, I can't believe that's something we used to take the piss out of that is absolutely definitely the truth. Oh, like, it's yeah. disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Before that, we got the, uh, the the tag team of Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, better known now, of course, as Thunderstorm uh, versus Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir. Um, Storm dominates Shafir early on, um, and her and uh, Thunder Rosa clearly make a good cohesive team. Frequent tags. Um, I think they're going to win the belts. Nyla. Cohesive. <laughs> Nyla gets involved by hitting Storm with an umbrella at one point uh, to take over. Um, they dominate there, and, and after the break, um, Thunder Rosa finally gets a hot tag, comes in, fights Nyla Rose, who's just great, chops some forearms to her, um, running boots, but then Nyla cuts her off, hits a Uranagi, brings in Marina Shafir, pump handles, suplex, gets a two count, but in the end, Storm cuts Rose off with a DDT, uh, hits that wicked hip attack of hers on Shafir, and then they hit a sort of combo spike fire thunder driver thing for the victory. What did you make of Thunderstorm? Hmm. I'm glad... Thunder Rosa and Marina Shafir were able to make friends backstage in the locker room um, because if it was wrestling that was going to bond them, they'd never speak to each other again. My God, they've got the opposite of chemistry, those two. My God. Like, so, <laughs> so, um, it, like, it's that kind of, like, anti-chemistry where the wrestlers are doing their best to make this work and little things go wrong between them or there's just a lack Especially of Especially because you're now so hyper-focused on it. I guess so, yeah, like, yeah. But the lack of communication is so obvious. It's a physical thing. It, it's just sad when you see it occur. Um, I didn't think this match was bad, but I, equally, I didn't think it was anything to write home about. And the more these appear to be advertisements for something bigger, division, belts, whatever, sausage, every time I say it, I feel guilty for putting it to you with the prospect of all this. It's like, well, the thing you're advertising me doesn't look that great. You know, like, if, you, if you're going to have this, ideally, you need sort of like two or three really hot, awesome teams right out the gate to be like, yes, this is going to work. That one week they put Nyla Rose and Serena Deep together on Dark, and it was like, yeah, yes, please. And then they did it again. They're doing it with Martinez and Dreeb Deep, but it's obviously for them to have a match instead. There are ways to make this division look like the kind of thing you should be wanting, but they've yet to really show us that outside mm. of a, a pun. I'm going to keep this very brief because I understand we're running low on time. And this is a just a huge bugbear and problem of mine with this division. Stop booking it like the men. When you're trying to preserve your big matches, you don't really have that many. You don't have that luxury. You don't have any stars. Um, you don't have much credibility about your division in the bank at all. Just start doing all-star action and worry about who you beat later at this point. Marina Shafir, greatest will in the world. I know she's that potential on dark. I've seen it. It's not ready for national television. She's absolutely woefully unprepared for national television on this evidence and the evidence of some of the other matches she had on television. Yes, I'll put over the Cargill one. That was an over-delivery, but generally she's not ready. She's not ready for the spot. Might be cruel, but it's a fact. She's not ready. Clearly she isn't ready. 
Marina Shafir is not ready for the spot, and she's been on dynamite way more than Chris Statlander, who the fans have absolutely fallen in yep. love with. And think of how hard that difficult think of how difficult that is for the fans to connect with a female act considering what an afterthought this division has been for forever now when they've had few excuses because they've actually got the talent. Why is Shafir on dynamite? More than Chris Outlander. Mm. It's a total, it's wrong. It's bad booking. Ultimately, you could say, oh, they're saving it, they're saving it, they're saving it. Oh, you know, they can't beat everyone. If you're not getting anything good, realistically, anything really good every single week, it's bad booking, and then you stop it. And the fact that it's... Dog with a rolled up newspaper. <laughs> in fact, it's such an afterthought, like you say, in, in six weeks they'll bring Chris Outlander back or have her do something finally with Jay Cargill and the baddies. And people won't react in exactly the same way because they've been no given no reminders or anything mm, there. Yeah, Shida and Yugo are a tag team on Elevation as well. Like, they, like them, they could get them on the show, couldn't you? Like, put them on Dynamite, maybe. Honestly, I've got so many problems with this company. Jade Cargill and the baddies are backstage. Jade is pissed off with Stokely Hathaway uh, bringing Layla Gray in, and he says, uh, you know, he paid her a sm- only a, a, you know, just over a thousand dollars, but he it did the job, and they, you know, they got the numbers advantage. Uh, it takes a special type of finesse to s- turn someone... To- He's got such a way with words, Stokely. Uh, but Jade's not happy still. Ignores Layla Gray. Says, look, if she doesn't deliver, he's going to be in trouble. It's your ass, basically. And the tease of Jay Cargill's eventual babyface turn continues. Ba- uh, and then Daniel Garcia's backstage. Uh, talks about Wheelie U.S. saying he doesn't strike an ounce of fear into his heart. He's going to face him at death before dishonor. Also, FTR versus the Briscoes too. Uh, FTR cut a promo. Nothing took nothing took as much out of them as the Briscoes did at Supercard. Um, and for those people who don't think that they're the best in the world, they'll prove it fighting them again. Like I said, just, just put this before the Young Bucks thing. It makes a lot more sense. I guess we'll save all that for the death before dishonor preview. But uh, I don't think I get this Jade Cargill character anymore. I thought I did last week. I thought I understood it when she was just showing absolute disdain for, like, in spite of Stokely's pretty fun. Well, I threw the challenge out there with three minutes. Like, I thought, like, I got it. This week, I don't. She has disdain for him. But then when she has the matches and she has a challenge that she seems to really want, she uses the baddies. So is she a heel after all? <sighs> is Stokely being, like, super efficient or is he a clown? I, I don't get the idea. Is he a better heel or a baby face? I don't know. Yeah, it, like, it's that wrestling thing of, like, well, just this is how these segments go. You're supposed to show this descent here and there. Well, why? Like, if anybody asks, like, what's the motivation of two or three of these? They're all talented, but what, what's all the motivations? Uh, main event time, interim AW World Championship on the line. William Regal joins commentary, which is an excellent addition, of course. John Moxley versus Brody King. Uh, Brody King looked ominous in the beginning here, dominating Moxley. Pushes him into the corner, overpowers him, nails him with a chop. They trade forearms, but King's getting the better of him, sends Moxley out to the floor, whips him into the barricade. Moxley fights back, but um, King back body drops him onto the ramp. Um, when they get back in the ring, Moxley's desperate a little bit here. Uh, he has to go and try and take the the legs out from underneath uh, Brody King. He uh, puts him in a figure four leg lock, continues to target his leg, and then King pops up and just starts battering him again, gets a black hole slam for a two count. When we go to a break, uh, Moxley gets out of the way of that huge cannonball sent on that King does, uh, rakes his back, bites at his face, superplexes him, uh, and gets a two count off the back of a dragon suplex. He kicks his head in, but King fires back uh, with a comeback lariat. Um, straight pile driver, gets a near fall. He uh, even puts Moxley uh, on in a sleeper and does that thing this time in the corner with the buckle, but like he did to Darby Allen in the ropes. Um, but 
He uh, drops him, puts him down with a, a running cannonball again. That gets another near fall. Goes for the Fire Thunder driver, but Moxie escapes, rolls him up, kicks out at two. He hits a paradigm shift out of nowhere. Does the old hammer and anvil elbows, which um, Regal really enjoyed as always. Goes for that bulldog choke of his, but he has to switch it around. I did like that. They're modifying and the adapting to this Goliath of a man. Puts him in a sleeper. King falls backwards. He's trying to get out of it, but Moxley shifts his position, puts him in the bulldog choke, uh, and the referee calls it with Brody King passing out. Moxley stands tall, and post-match, actually post-show, really, there's a little moment with uh, Brody King, Sting, and Darby Allen on the ramp um, that some may or may not have seen, but a relatively straightforward, uh, well, not straightforward, sorry, a relatively enjoyable uh, title defence for John Moxley. I feel guilt in the pit of my stomach for saying this, but I just felt absolutely nothing for this. So last week, I w- we were shown that Brody King has basically had fairly easy route to victory in the Royal Rampage. John Moxley has survived blood and guts. That's happened on the same night. So that should be your starting point for this. Then you've got John Moxley, knowing what we know about Moxley and how he fights these guys and all the different ways he works to beat these guys. That should be your second part of the story that I'm saying that should like I should tell these guys how to do this thing that complete geniuses in but theoretically that's where you would expect this to go and they went down the most generic David versus Goliath formula and at no point was I even prompted to jump out of my chair or leap or squeal or make any of the noises that you expect from John Moxley versus Brody King when written on a piece of paper I, I don't want to say this this was I am just watching wrestling happen this was not wrestlers having a title fight um, I don't know if maybe the reality of an interim title was laid bare here and those stakes can only feel so high because an interim title is an interim title. I don't know if um, Brody King was just not pushed enough on the night. And like I said earlier on, the lack of a promo kind of like sucked some of the heat out of this yeah. and the fans just didn't buy it. And again, this is the problem of even when it's John Moxley, when you've got a belt out there, you really cannot do too many of these obvious winner, obvious loser matches mm-hmm. before the audience just won't bite on them anymore. So maybe there were factors working against them, but sometimes it's on the wrestlers too. And I just, they didn't feel like they got out of first here. And I I just expected so much more. I expected so much more. I have to echo that completely. Like, ultimately, they did tell. It was very physical. There were certain chops. Some of the best stuff was in picture in picture. Like, he chopped them, like, onto his arse. And Brody King chopped Moxley onto his arse. He looked like, it just looked great. The sound was great. It looked great. But ultimately, they told a really sort of logical, progressive story about a smaller guy who's more gifted on the mat, slowly dissecting and deconstructing the monster. And it was all very believable. There was no sense of peril facing my hero that Mm. I was desperate for him to overcome. There was one minor, minor twang of the feeling that I want from the Moxley, or that anyone versus the monster match, but particularly Moxley. I wanted to feel the words... Go on, get the big bastard. I don't know how you're doing this, but I think you can do it, right? The bit where he kind of roared back after he took the backdrop and then went, no, I'm back, I'm going to get you in the bulldog. That was the faintest twang of Mm. that feeling that I wanted from this match. But I wanted, go on, I don't know how you're doing this, but somehow you're getting the big bastard, get him. I wanted that moment. I just didn't really feel like there was the peril or the badass electricity, the defiance, the comeback. Like the impossible, like, oh my God, you're killing the monster. I just didn't feel any of those feelings that I expected to feel. Good, sogi- good, logical, logical, physical match. I was expecting so much more. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where 
on paper and certainly on the preview, we were more giddy about it than uh, than the actual match itself. Which doesn't bode well because you unfortunately you remember this stuff and another one could come along and you'd be like, well, that wasn't so great. Normally that kind of excitement is informed by like a unstoppable hit rate mm. and it's like... Mm. And there was no one. Yeah. And there was, yeah, there was no moment in this match, which I often say, whether it's, you know, whoever's fighting for the title, where my brain goes, oh, I guess they're switching the title. There was not yeah. a single moment I had in this match, which I think speaks volumes. But let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWW. In a nice way, in a good faith way, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you can follow all three of us watch there. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... Maybe you need help, man. At M. Sidgwick. <laughs> Michael Sidgwick, a man who loves AEW so much, he even wrote a book about it that's absolutely phenomenal. Becoming All Elite is still available right now on Amazon. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. We just want it to be better. That's all. That's all we're asking for. Anyway, uh, you can subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, including me and Sid, previewing AEW Rampage tomorrow, of course. Uh, but for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com